everybody's going astray. We've all gone our own way. And then God gets us out of our mess and we jump right back into it. The whole reason Easter is special for Christians and really for everybody is because Isaiah 53, 6 is true for all of us. We've all strayed. We've all gone our own way. And what I didn't understand as a child is that my mom's boundaries were not intended to like ruin my fun and to keep me from enjoying life and um, enjoying riding my bicycle and all those things that I thought because, you know, I know best for my life and I know what's fun for me. And I know even though the, the cable box is a little bit further outside of the cul-de-sac and I've got my whole yard, which once again, going back as an adult, I had a huge yard that I had the freedom to ride in all I want. I had a whole cul-de-sac that I could ride in, and I had this extra space. It just wasn't free enough for me. But mom wasn't trying to prevent me from enjoying life and enjoying myself riding my bicycle. What she understood that I didn't understand was beyond her boundary was a side road that led to not only uh, vehicles turning in and out, but at the end of our road, the cul-de-sac was actually the end of the main road for our neighborhood. So it was actually a high traffic area that as a child, I'm not really paying attention to because I'm focused on riding my bicycle. I'm focused on my little radio controlled uh, truck that I would ride in the cul-de-sac and those things. I'm worried about my fun and I'm worried about my freedom, but I'm not looking at all of the things that mom had to look at and to consider when her young son and other children are riding their bicycle. And like my parents and like my mom's rules that were not there to ruin my enjoyment, but they were for my enjoyment and for my protection God gives us guardrails in life as well. He gives us his word. He gives us those things that he requires of us and that he expects of us, and they are truly guardrails for us. Um, you don't have to be a Christian. You can be here today and um, this whole church thing be brand new to you and God be brand new to you. And maybe you've heard about Jesus and you've heard about God, of course, but, but it's all fairly new to you. But you don't have to just be new to church to hear about Adam and Eve. I've turned on uh, TV and seen videos like from skits like Saturday Night Live and things like that where they do portrayals of these type things. And so we know about Adam and Eve, and we know that they were the first uh, people who were created, and we know they were in the Garden of Eden, and yet God places them in this garden and gives them the freedom to eat of any tree of the garden that they desired. He just gave them one boundary. He said, there is one tree out of this entire garden that I want you to avoid that you cannot eat from. And of course, it was that one tree that enticed them. Now, he wasn't trying to ruin their enjoyment. He was trying to not only give them the enjoyment and the freedom of the entire garden, but also to protect them because he knew the consequences if they ate of that tree, what it would mean for them. And so, he leaves them in the freedom of the garden to enjoy it, to eat of the fruit, to enjoy all that he had created, to enjoy the freedom and to enjoy the relationship that they had with him. And yet the serpent comes along and takes that one thing they can't have. The one thing that he tricks them and deceives them into believing that without it, they're not truly free. Without it, God is withholding something good from them. That without it, God is keeping them blind and, keep, and, and withholding from them that if they would just eat this 
from this one tree, this one thing they, that, that they cannot have, that God knew the consequences if they did have it, but if they would just give in to this deception, then their eyes would be open and they would be like God. And so from the very beginning, we see this deception and this belief that there's something being withheld from us. And we've bought this lie as well. Some of you have bought this lie that um, God is withholding something good from you. You've bought the lie that if you will just give over to this one thing in your life, then you will be more free. Then, then you will have more enjoyment in life or that you will be like God. You can control your outcomes and you can control your life and you can, you know, um, have your way the way you want it. Not the way that it's turned out, not the way the, the consequences of maybe what someone has done to you, the harm, the pain, the, um, the, 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 the difficulty, the suffering, the struggle that you maybe grew up with as a child, the, the abuse or the trauma. And so now as an adult, you can give into this whatever it is for you, and your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God. You'll be free. You'll, you'll have enjoyment. You'll have all that you have had withheld from you by God. And so we've all been there. Like sheep, we've gone astray, and we've gone our own way. None of us are void from that. None of us are immune from that. We are all equal in this endeavor. Isaiah 59 two tells us, your iniquities are separating you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not listen. This was written to the people of Israel, but in the same way, our iniquities have separated us from God. Colossians tells us that, that we've been separated from God by our evil thoughts and our evil actions. That your actions, those are the things we focus on oftentimes, the things you do or the things you don't do, but oftentimes we focus on the things we do, but there's also the sins of uh, omission, the things that we know to do and we don't do them. But also he tells us that even in our thoughts, we are separated from him because our thoughts are even evil. So even in those times that you grin and bear it and you do things that you don't want to do, even if your heart is disobedient, in God's eyes, you are disobedient. And so he says, you're separated from your God by your, by, your, by, uh, by your iniquities, whether that's your thoughts, whether that's your actions. And here's the reality for some of you here today. Some of you feel like your life has become hopeless. Some of you feel like you are just walking through life, just trying to figure it out on its own, or just kind of like whatever happens, happens because it's all hopeless from here. Because I've tried this, I've gone this way, I've made this decision, and now I'm, I'm reaping the consequences of my choices. Or I've tried to do good. I've even given religion and church a try. There could be some of you even here today. Like church is good. It's Easter. Brand new start. I, I, I've been going through some difficulties. I've been going through some struggles. I've been facing the consequences of my decision. And so it is Easter. I'm, I'm going to give church one more try. I'm going to give God one more try. And your perspective is that somehow religion is going to play some magical role in your life that if you just come and sit within a, a church building, everything's going to change. That, that if you'll just come in and maybe say a prayer to God, that everything might change. And, and we play this almost like voodoo, kind of, you know, hocus pocus. Like if I just do these certain things, then my life will change. And what happens is religion fails us every time Amen. 
Because religion is powerless. Sitting in church is powerless. Praying a prayer, um, if it's just out of just kind of, you know, expectation of it's fulfilling some kind of checklist can be powerless. Singing songs can be powerless if it's just based in religion. It's just based on checking a box in hopes that maybe it will change my life. Maybe it's the missing part of what I need to get things going in the right direction. And so some of you feel like life has become hopeless. And here's the reality. You can write this down. A life separated from God is hopeless. A life separated from God is hopeless. Your iniquity separates you from God. Your evil thoughts and actions separate you from God. And therefore, if you are separated from your creator, God, it is hopeless. You're going to feel hopeless. That is a natural feeling. I'm not here to like give you a pep talk and, you know, a motivational speech and leave you here feeling empowered and walking away, um, you know, excited about Easter if you walk away in your iniquities. Because if you walk away in your iniquities, yes, the music can make you feel emotionally charged and you can walk out of here and feel ready to go from a, a, an encouraging message and you can walk out of here still in your iniquities and still be separated from God. And while you might feel like you have hope for a day, in the next week you're going to feel hopeless again because you just gave yourself over to religion. You just gave yourself over to emotionalism. And so... We know that a life separated from God is hopeless. Has anybody ever bought anything and you had to take it back because it didn't do what you bought it to do? Like you, you bought a TV, but the TV wouldn't come on. And so you're like, this is pointless because um, I bought this to be able to watch TV and there's nothing on the screen. And so I've got to take this back. It's bad. It's a lemon. We have a refrigerator over in our um, office building and it does not refrigerate. It does not keep things cold. And so it would be hopeless if we were to try to put a, a thing of milk in there to keep it cold because it's not keeping things cold. And so we're going to be very disappointed. It would be hopeless to expect, I'm going to put this milk in this refrigerator and come back in an hour and it's going to be cold like it should be. It's not going to be because it's not operating and functioning as it should it is hopeless for you to live your life apart from what you were designed to do. You were designed to give glory to God. You were designed. And so when you've been given those boundaries by God, when he gives us his word so that we know what he expects of us, he does so because to obey that and to follow that honors him and gives him glory. It's like when I um, am riding my bicycle outside of the cul-de-sac in love towards my mom, in honor of her because she's my parent, I would go, there's my boundary. I'm going to stay within this boundary out of love. But my wicked, rebellious heart goes, you know what? That's not free enough. I want more, and I'm going to go outside of that boundary. It's not that I'm acting out of love for my mom. I'm now acting out of love for myself and what I want. And then what I don't understand, because I'm blind to spiritual things, and I'm blind to even the physical things when I'm growing up, is the fact that I'm putting myself in danger because there's a road up ahead beyond that boundary that puts me in harm's way. And in the same way, when you've been designed and created for the glory of God, and he says, here's my boundary, this is what I desire of you, and you say, 
I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to go astray from that because I believe this is what I need. I believe this is what's going to give me freedom. This is what's going to give me joy and fulfillment and contentment. Then we get outside of those boundaries. We're acting in selfishness, not in love, and we put ourselves in danger. And then what happens is we get in danger. The car hits us. We face the consequences of our choices. And then sometimes we want to blame God. Well, I grew up in church. My parents, you know, God let this happen to me. No, God said, I've got a certain standard and boundary in my word, and I want you to stay within that. And the reality is whether you're the pastor of the church or whether today you're sitting in the seats, we have all gone astray. Amen. We've all gone our own way. We're all equal when it comes to the consequences of sins and the iniquities, and it separates us and where you were designed and created to glorify God your sin has separated you from him. And so when you feel hopeless, it's because you have a broken connection with your creator. It means iniquity is separating you from your God. God told this to Israel in Isaiah 43, 7, everyone who bears my name and is created for my glory, I have formed them. Indeed, I have made them. He was telling them, I've made people for my glory. I've made my people for my glory. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 through 14. He says, that's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Once again, those things done in secret, the thoughts, the actions, they all separate us from God when they are not done in his way, according to his commands, we will be judged according to those things. He says to fear God, obey his commands, for this is everybody's duty. It's what you were created to do. Every one of us. It's like the refrigerator. We buy a refrigerator to keep things cold. God created you and designed you to glorify him, to live for his honor. But here's the lie that you've been told. To do that and to stay within the boundary that he has set is going to withhold from you something good. God is keeping something from you. You're going to miss out on the joys and the pleasures of what this world has to offer. And it's not some guy in red horns and a pitchfork that comes and tells you that. It's friends and it's culture and it's, the, and it's Hollywood and it's all these people that come along and tell you this is what you need. This is the path you need to go. This is what you need to believe and what you need to adopt and the principles that you need to live by. And you go, you know what? That makes sense. It sounds logical. And so you start doing those things. You start going down that path. You start listening to your friends rather than maybe listening to your pastor or your parents or those who are leading you according to God's way. And so you say, you know what? I'm going to be like a sheep and I'm going to go astray. I'm going to go my own way. And where has it led you? Because your duty, your responsibility is to live for the honor and the glory of God. That's your purpose in life. So, of course, you're going to feel hopeless, lost, broken, confused when you decide to go your own way. When you choose sexual pleasure outside of God's design for sex and marriage. 
when you pursue wealth and achievement over a uh, life of humility and contentment, when you've bowed at the altar of drugs and alcohol or other things like even food for comfort, to escape, to cope, rather than running to God for healing and satisfaction, when you took control of your own life and tried to manipulate things to resolve them in your favor and in your way, rather than placing your faith and trust in God and in His way, trusting that He is sovereign and He will lead you well. That even when it's difficult and even when it's hard, He's going to lead you well. When you ignored God's commands, feeling like you knew a better way, feeling like you knew that, you know, I can go outside of this boundary. I can go this much further. It's funny how this much further becomes even further and even further, because this is what happens, and this is how Satan gets us, especially in the early days. He tells you just, he, 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 he deceives you, just like, it's just like one bite, just one bite of the fruit. So, so just try this one time. It's not going to hurt you, and it doesn't hurt you. And you go, see, it didn't hurt me. It didn't hurt anybody. It didn't do anything to cause any great, uh, you know, chaos in the universe. And so I'm good to do this. This is my new boundary. I know what God says the boundary is, but because I didn't cause any chaos in the world immediately, this is my new boundary. And guess what? That boundary then becomes another boundary because, well, that didn't turn out bad for me or anybody else. So now I can go a little bit further and then I can go a little bit further. And before you know it, you're so far not only from God and his standard, but now you are facing the consequences and the difficulties. And then you look back and you wonder why you feel hopeless. It's because your iniquity separates you from God. And that's why it's so hard to convince people early in their sin and early in their rebellion to turn around and go back in the right way. I'll tell you, when I used to manage a substance abuse program, the, the guys who were younger coming to the program oftentimes did the worst because they hadn't burned enough bridges. They still had a safety net with family or a girlfriend or whatever that grandma that would come pick them up and always be there for them. And so they, they knew that, hey, I can give a little bit of effort, but they hadn't been burned enough by their sin and by their decisions and by the consequences of those things that they had given their life over to, to really know, and as we say, hit rock bottom. But you give me a 55-year-old or a 48-year-old who they no longer, mom said, hey, I'm done. Dad said, hey, I'm done. We, ha we have to draw a line here. Uh, wife is far gone. Kids don't talk to them anymore. No one wants anything to do with them because they've stolen from them. They've lied to them. Like they are hopeless. It, it's them. And when they ca came to my doorstep saying, if I don't get help, I'm going to die. I knew that was a perfect candidate to get the help that they needed because they were so desperate. They had faced and tasted the bitterness of their sin. They had tasted the consequences to the point that they knew they had to change direction. They knew that they had to do things a different way. And then they became open to hearing from God's word and the gospel and what could truly transform and change their heart. And so for some, they're so early. Some of you may be so early in going outside of that boundary, you're like, whatever, Nick. I haven't caused any problems for anybody. Things are going well for me. My wife doesn't know I have this 
lady at work, or my husband doesn't know I've been talking to this guy at work, and it's not hurting anything. Things are going well. And that's the hardest person. And those are the hardest people to convince that you've gone outside of God's boundary, and there's going to be great consequences in your future. Romans 3.23, we know, says, for everyone have sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. See, God gave us his boundaries, which lead us to our good and his glory. It's promised to us in his word. And he's given us a standard, and that is his glory. That is what he has created us for. And we have all ignored them, and we have all intentionally rebelled against them. We have all felt like five more feet beyond the cable box was okay. We've all felt that way. We've all given in to that temptation. God's standard is his glory, but we've all fallen short of meeting it. Today is not to condemn you, because I have fallen short of God's glorious standard. Your falling short might look different than mine, but we're not here to judge who's fallen further from God's glory or who's done different to fall from God's glory. We're all equal here to say we've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. We're all equal. And as I said, some are paying the price and living the consequences of your choices and rebellion. And the reality is one day, every one of us will stand before God to give an account for our life and our sin. And I wonder what your answer to that will be. Will it be, well, I went to church on Easter. I try to be a good person. I, 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 I tried to stop doing those things. And every once in a while, I would pick them back up. And, but, but I tried. God knows my heart. And yet the scripture tells us our heart, above all things, is deceivingly wicked. Who even understands? Who even knows how wicked? And I often, especially on Easter, give you this formula because I know there are people who, one, have never seen it. But two, I, I think it gives us the weight of what we stand potentially before God to answer for. It's on the screen, and many of you have heard this before if you've been with us any number of years. But let's just say that you are awake for 16 waking hours. I think that's like 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. So for just 16 hours, and let's just say you sin 10 times an hour. Max Lucado gave this formula when he was talking about forgiving people and how God's forgiven us. That's 160 sins a day. Now, you say, wow, 10 sins. Well, once again, remember, evil thoughts and actions, sins of commission and omission. And so some days, maybe you, don't, you wouldn't sin 10 times an hour, but some days maybe it's more than that because you're driving to work on a Monday morning, someone cuts you off and you tell them they're number one and say a few choice words under your breath about them or whatever that might be. Or, or you're walking through the store and you see that guy and man, he, he's looking good and you don't just look at him, but you look a second or a third time. Like you stare so much, you run your buggy into the person in front of you and you have those thoughts you shouldn't have. And so, I mean, you know, it's just reality. And so um, those type things, like we can't even keep track of how many times we fall short of God's glory. Or the t moment that maybe you're sitting there and you're like, I don't sin like that person. And then you just committed self-righteousness. And so, you know, all of those things like, or lying. And so it's easy to sin 10 times an hour. But even if you don't, there are days that you would. So it's just a formula. 160 sins a day 
times 365 days a year is 58,400 sins in a year. And let's just say you live to be 74 years old, which is the average lifespan. You could stand before God owing and answering for 4,321,600 sins. You good enough for that? How many times have you gone to church in your lifetime? One time a week? How, how, many, how many people have you, like, you know, done good deeds for? I posted yesterday how a guy brought uh, Tristan's wallet all the way from Evans to Grovetown because he found it, and, he, and, and the dude's, like, smiling huge, like, just feeling uh, content, I guess, with his good deed, and just so grateful he did that because a lot of people wouldn't do that, and yet he did a good deed. Well, that's one good deed. So 4,321,599 sins to go. So we stand before God to give an account. These are the charges. And if you say, Nick, that's ridiculous that you would think I would sin 10 times an hour. All right, let's drop it to half of that. Five sins an hour. Now you're at 2,160-whatever-thousand and that's what you have to give an account for. Because God said, here's my boundary. Here's my standard. And in this standard, there is freedom. There is joy. There's satisfaction and contentment. But somewhere along the line, your enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy from you came along and convinced you that that boundary wasn't far enough. It wasn't free enough. And so you went outside of the boundary. And now where you could have had satisfaction, you now are dissatisfied. Where you could have had contentment, you're constantly having to seek something different and something new. Where you could have had joy, you now have depression and you now have um, disappointment. Where you could have had freedom, you now have bondage to some substance or to some relationship or some whatever that might be. And so we stand before God guilty of falling short of his glorious standard. Why? We've all gone astray. We've all gone our own way. And that is why Easter is so important to all of us. Turn your attention once again to Isaiah 53, 3 through 12. I, I just want you to, as I read through this, I'm not going to rush through this. I want you to listen because this is what your rebellion cost the Son of God. This is what your decision to go outside of God's boundary and to not live for His glory, to live for your own glory, and to, to go your own way, to be that sheep that went astray. This is what it costs for all of us to go our own way. Listen to this very intently. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. 
He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before his shear, her shearers. He did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was with a rich man at his death because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days, and by his hand the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. After his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as spoil, because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. You can write this down. Jesus exchanged our rebellion for his righteousness. Jesus exchanged our rebellion for his righteousness. The New Testament tells us he that knew no sin, he was perfect, he was sinless, he became sin so we could become the righteousness of God. That iniquity that separated every one of us from God, that iniquity that, iniquity that leaves us hopeless and separates us from our Creator, Jesus bore that iniquity. He paid that price for our peace, according to Isaiah He that knew no sin became sin, so you could become the righteousness of God. Jesus was innocent. You are guilty. Jesus is innocent. I am guilty. Jesus suffered so you could be set free. He was oppressed, afflicted, struck, crushed, and slaughtered because each of us, like sheep, have gone astray and have gone our own way. We chose to do our own thing, yet Jesus interceded for you so you could be forgiven. While life might feel hopeless, it doesn't have to be hopeless. While you might feel hopeless in this moment, He interceded on your behalf so that you could have hope, so that you could have life and you could have a new beginning. Not religion, but that you could be in a relationship with your Creator God through Christ Jesus, and you could not just have life, but you could have abundant life. Life to the full, joy and peace and contentment and satisfaction Ephesians 1, 7 through 8 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace that He richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago to pay the price for your sin. He shed His blood so that that would be payment for your sin, for your rebellion for your decision to shake your fist at him or to ignore his ways 
where he says, this is my boundary. This is what gives me glory. And you said, I don't care. I'm going to do my own thing because I think I know better. He shed his blood. He was beaten, unrecognizable, and hung on a cross for your sin. That sin that separated you from God, that left you broken and hopeless. And the reality is we'd all be hopeless if Jesus just died. That, that's, that's good that he was crushed for us, though we don't understand that. How is that good? How is Good Friday good? It was good because it t- took the death and the shedding of the blood to be that perfect payment for your sins. But see, had he just remained dead, we would still be dead in our trespasses. Peter denied even knowing Jesus before he died. He denied him three times before he even went to the cross. And when he died, his closest friends, those who would be the apostles, thought all was hopeless. And they go and they fear the Jews and they're locked in a house. They're, They're hiding because Jesus had died and they felt like everything that they had given their life for was over and was pointless. And had he remained in the grave... He'd be no different than everyone else. He would just be another religious teacher or another prophet or whatever, dead in the grave. But he didn't stay dead. That's why we celebrate Easter and Sunday morning. But to understand the resurrection, we have to understand that he first died. I've got a couple of pictures. I got to go and see for myself that this is what is considered the garden tomb. And this is uh, best fits the biblical narrative of the death at Golgotha, the place of the skull, and the garden that was near the place that he died and uh, in an empty tomb of a rich man. And right down the, the, the way of this, not too far is, I don't have a good picture of it, but it is Golgotha, the place of the skull where the crucifixions took place. And then inside of here, you can see that he's not there. He is risen. And he rose to new life so that you could have the hope of new life. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8 and 17 through 22. And I'll wrap up real quick here, but I've got a few more verses, passages It says this, I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. This is Paul writing, a former spiritual terrorist. And Jesus encountered him on the road to Damascus. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 
For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Paul here is saying that if Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead, any thought of life after death, any uh, thought of new life here on earth is pointless. It's worthless to even believe such a thing. Because if God can't raise his own son to new life, then it is hopeless for you to believe that he could raise you to new life. But yet, this was the Son of God and the Spirit of God raised him from the dead. There was a sudden change. Eleven men who hid in fear after Jesus' death, one of which, which denied him. Suddenly, they're as bold as lions, not fearing death, going about preaching the message of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. A spiritual terrorist who was crucifying the church imprisoning women and and men and having them killed, suddenly it all changes. And he is one of the greatest evangelists in church history. Paul, all of these men suffered and were murdered, or in John's case was exiled on an island prison. They no longer feared death. They no longer feared persecution. What changed? How did a movement of 12 apostles and 120 people praying in an upper room become over 2 billion believers worldwide? I heard a pastor say this week that there are as many Christians that are larger than China, Europe, and the United States. People that profess Christ put together, those countries put together. How did 12 apostles 120 people praying in the upper room turn into over 2 billion professing Christians worldwide. The scripture tells us Jesus was resurrected from the dead and he revealed himself to 500 people. When you see a dead man come back to life, everything changes. The apostles were preaching the message of Christ. The 500 witnesses were preaching the message of Christ. And it spread like a wildfire to the place that in 70 AD, Rome comes against the Christians to try to annihilate them and silence them. And ever since then, ever since Christ's resurrection, there has been an attempt to silence and to destroy Christianity. And yet it thrives and it continues to this day. Why? Because our Savior is not in the grave. Our Savior has risen and has offered us new life. And that is the new life that is available to you today. That if you are hopeless in your sins and in your iniquities, even if you've given religion a try. He's not saying give religion a try. He's not saying come join the church for salvation. He's not saying do this or do that. He's saying to come in your iniquities because I have already paid them. And that's the final scripture, Romans 8, 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Because the spirit of God is powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead, he is powerful enough to take your sin-killed soul and resurrect it in Christ Jesus and give you the hope of new and eternal life. So today, the Bible tells us this with the 
heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made. In John 20, and if you want a great passage to study this week, go to John 19, John 17, that's the garden. John 18, John 19, John 20. In John 20, Jesus tells them because Thomas needed to see him to believe. And he says, you have seen in order to believe, but blessed are those who do not see and yet they believe. He's, he did, the Bible says he did a bunch of miracles that were not recorded in the gospels and in these books. And, but he says that in what he did and what he has provided, an empty grave and his showing himself to the apostles and to the 500, he did those things so you could believe. And so today, that's what it comes down to. Do you trust that Christ's death on the cross, his being crushed, his being pierced for your transgressions was sufficient payment for your sins. The Bible says, if you believe that in your heart, then we're going to confess that with our mouth. And for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It is faith in Christ and Christ alone that is our hope and our salvation. And today that is the beginning of of your new life. As I pray for us, I'm going to have a prayer on the screen. This prayer does not save you. It's a guide. It's a template for those who are like, what do I pray? How do I pray? Maybe you don't know how to pray. The Bible does not give us a magic prayer to pray. It says, with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made. You can say the prayer on the screen. You can say your own prayer. The point is this, if the Holy Spirit is drawing you, speaking to you, do not leave here today without responding to him in faith. And if you do so, we want to walk with you. We want to help you to understand how to walk this life in a way that glorifies God. We want to help you take your next steps. And so if you pray that prayer today, if you make that commitment today, take a connect card in front of you. Mark the box that says that you've trusted Christ today. If you're online, follow the instructions and go online and let us know that you have taken this step of faith so that we can help you take your next steps from here. Because we want you living in freedom and we want you living with the hope of the new life that you have in Christ. So I'm going to pray for you. We're going to have um, the worship team come. Uh, that was not the worship team or the Holy Spirit. So just ignore that. Um, I'm going to pray for us. And then after the band, I'll have a few announcements for you at the end, and then we'll dismiss. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for um, this message that, is, that Easter encompasses. Lord, we thank you that we get to celebrate the resurrection today, but we know that the resurrection was only possible because Christ died for our iniquities and died for our sins. God, I thank you for that. I thank you that, Lord, where we deserve death, and we deserve eternal separation from you in hell, that you loved us so much that you gave us your only begotten son. So that if we believe in him, that if we believe his death is sufficient payment for our sins, if we would believe that he raised from death to life through the power of the Holy Spirit, that in that belief and in that faith, we would have eternal life. Thank you for that. God, if there's one here today that they feel hopeless, they feel unloved, Lord, they can know that you love them. And they can look to Jesus to know just how much that you gave us your only son.
And so, Father, help us today to celebrate that. Help us to walk in joy and excitement because we are made alive and given hope in Christ. And, Father, I pray for those who are here that, Lord, they've never placed their faith and trust in Jesus. They've been maybe playing the religious game or maybe they've just gone their own way and they've tried everything the world has offered them and they have found bondage and they have found pain and they have found hopelessness. Father, I pray today that your spirit would speak to them and that today they would choose to believe on Christ as their Lord and as their Savior and that today would be the day of their salvation. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for Easter. Thank you that we are alive in Christ. It is in his name I pray. Amen.